You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, again, for the fifth time. How's everybody doing today? Good morning, how are you doing today? Okay, good. If you have your smartphone with us today, I would like to encourage you to follow along. If you have our Riverside app, you see that up on the screen, uh, you could follow along in the notes today through that app. Or if you don't have our app and you have the Bible on here, the Version Bible, you can look up the live event, Riverside Community Church, look up the Pittsburgh Mills, you'll find today's notes in there. We are continuing and actually ending our July sermon series, because this is July 31st already. The sermon series is Cropped, Is Jesus in Your Picture? Is he in the picture of your social life, your work and school, your future? And today we're looking at, is he in the picture of those relationships that are closest to you? And uh, I want to invite you to share your thoughts or reflections from this series. If you're using social media, you can use the hashtag CroppedRCC. Something that I like to do whenever I uh, give a talk is, is uh, just kind of nerd out a little bit on what that topic is. And our topic is cropping pictures. So cropping, what's it all about? I'm going to give you some useful, maybe useless information. It depends on how you look at it. But I'm going to, I did some research and I found four reasons why we crop pictures. The first reason is we zoom in or we can change orientation or the aspect ratio of the picture. So here's an example. Here's a picture. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my daughter and I, Kylie, we were kayaking on the Allegheny River uh, in Harmerville there. And I don't know if you can see her or not, but she's up there in the middle swimming with her little life vest on. So I crop the picture to zoom in and we zoom in a little bit and there you can see her. Okay, so that's one reason we crop pictures. Another reason that we crop pictures is to give focus to the main subject of the picture. So uh, a little while back, I was having lunch at Valtry's with our very own Jeremy Reif. He's our visual communications director. And uh, so we could crop this picture to change the focus. So I don't know where your eyes are focusing right now, but here's one, uh, one way you could focus. We, the handsome Jeremy there, okay? Um, but that's not really what I want you to focus on. What I want you to focus on is, so I crop the picture a different way, his sandwich that he had at Valtry's. Uh, you see the red pepper flakes. That is not on purpose. You see, he took the little container of red pepper flakes and shook it on there, but some, somebody just unscrewed that lid, and out the pepper flakes came onto his hoagie, and it wasn't me. I don't know if you believe me or not. The third reason that we would crop a picture is to change perspective, or, I love this, give artistic license. Now, you know what artistic license is? Giving artistic license to a picture means that you're trying to portray something that maybe really isn't the case. So, an example here, we see on the left, uh, this person's trying to say, so nice to chill by the pool. You think it's their legs? Nope. On the right, you see what's really happening. They have a picture on their computer of the pool. They have their fingers here like this, and they snap a picture. So that's changing, that's giving some artistic license, right? And maybe you guys know about this one. And by the way, you can laugh. The next one, this is the realistic version, the the Facebook version. Okay, so that's artistic license. And then finally, the fourth reason that we would crop a picture is uh, to remove distractions or to remove unwanted details. So we got a picture here of my wife, Carrie, my daughter, Kylie. I don't know what she's looking at, but uh, I cropped this picture because I wanted to remove a distraction, and the distraction is 
my son Brayden. Uh, last week I, I told, I, I spoke down in Oakmont the same message last week, and Pastor Bill's down there this week, and I told them when I put this picture up, I don't have permission to use his uh, photograph here for you all, but um, he, he found out about it last week, and after service came up and started punching me, you know, Dad, how dare you do that? Anyone here ever get cropped out of a picture before? You know, you're cruising around Facebook, and you see a picture that you were once a part of, and now you're not, because somebody cropped you out? Well, don't worry, it's happened to me too. And uh, it's happened to me with one of my dear loved ones. So a couple years ago, my family and I, we went downtown, we had brunch with Santa Claus and James Harrison, go Steelers, okay, I just had to throw that in there. We're big Steelers fans. Uh, my wife, Carrie, is a huge James Harrison fan. So uh, here's a picture of uh, our family. We're with Santa. We're with James Harrison. There he is. And uh, so the next day, I'm on Facebook, and I'm expecting to see this picture. And nope, <laughs> Carrie cropped her family out. <laughs> That's how much we mean compared to James Harrison, I guess. And this was her uh, Facebook picture. So uh, let's get that picture off of there. Let's go back to something else. It's fun to laugh, uh, but imagine if every time I went on Facebook, I found that I was cropped out of her pictures, or worse yet, out of her life. And uh, just going to go cliche just for a moment here. I do that a couple times. But what does Jesus feel like when we crop him out of the pictures of our life? Now, I know that sitting here this morning... I would say that most of us would agree that we don't want to crop Christ out of our lives, do we? Yet we do. And whether that's the pictures of our life in, at, at work or at school, or if it's a picture of our social interactions or our hopes and dreams or our future, or maybe it's in the pictures of the relationships that are closest to us, our families. I believe that re- relationships are a gift. And there's a couple different views about this statement, but my view is that God had blessed me with an amazing wife in Carrie and two amazing, wonderful children in Kylie and Brayden. And he blessed me with a loving family when I was growing up. So for me, I can say that these relationships that are the closest to me are a gift from God. That's my view. That's how I see it. So I would say treasure each other because you are God's gift to each other. That's, that's my advice today. Genesis chapter 2 talks about God creating relationship because he created Adam, he created man, and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And the story goes on to say how he's created Eve, this helper that came to have relationship with Adam because it's not good for Adam to be alone. The point is that God gave us these relationships and he said it was good, but he also wants to be an ongoing part of these relationships. He wants to be included in our relationships. He wants to be in the picture of our relationships. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, says this on companionship. I observed the case of a man who is all alone without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asked himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's all so meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? 
person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And I love this part. Three are even better, for a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. I'm going to read that sentence again. Three are even better, for a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. So today I want to present this. This is the problem. How do we keep Jesus in the pictures of our family, in the pictures of the relationships that are closest to us? If you're sitting here this morning and maybe those relationships that are closest to you aren't family, it's something else, then I want you to think about those relationships today. For your purposes this morning and hearing this message, think about the relationships that are closest to you that mean the most. So the problem is, how do we keep Jesus in that picture? The solution, I would say, is this. We build and we maintain godly, loving relationships at home. I'm using at home because most of us, I think, those relationships are the ones at home. But we build and we maintain godly relationships. So the question then that I want to ask you today and help you to answer is how do you build and maintain godly, loving relationships at home or with those who are closest to you? And I want to use a building metaphor to help illustrate this point today. A building has a foundation, it has a structure, and it has embellishments. And we'll call these different foundational or structural elements, we're going to call those building blocks of a relationship. So the first thing that you have to do is acquire the building blocks to our loving relationship. So here they are, the, the building blocks of our loving relationship. I already built this one, and I'm glad it's still standing. And I'm going to build another one. So we're going to say that this, everybody sees this one here, we're going to say that this is a nice, godly, loving relationship that uh, is well-maintained. And I'm going to build with us here another relationship. Relationships are two-way. Because it is two people who relate to each other, right? Husband and wife, parent to child, sibling to sibling, friend to friend, whatever that may be. So one of the most basic building blocks of a relationship, and this is very foundational, begins with communication. And communication is the exchange of information. Ephesians chapter 4, 29 says, Do not use respectful, disrespectful language. Let everything that you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So I'm going to say communication is vitally important. It's going to build the foundation of our building. And I'm already off to a bad start. It's getting crooked. Let's fix that up. Okay. A good relationship involves good and helpful information being exchanged with each other. It could be the day-to-day information, the outward, the obvious, but it's also that inward stuff. It's the deep stuff. It's the feelings, the emotions, the exchange of verbal love. And in that scripture I read, it says, don't use disrespectful language. In other words, we need to respect each other with our language. Loving relationships are made when we respect and honor each other. And there's also a level of obedience that might be necessary. For example, a child to the parents. So respect, honor, and obedience are some some additional building blocks. Uh, 1 Peter 3 says, wives, honor your husbands. Husbands, honor your wives. And treat each other with understanding. They're your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Ephesians 6 says, children, obey your parents for that's the right thing to do. And our closest family relationships, they're also going to include the building blocks of intimacy and trust. And they go hand in hand. 
It's close physical proximity. It's hugs and kisses. It's holding hands. It's siblings wrestling on a floor, uh, a child in her parents' arms or sitting on his parents' laps. It's the deeper intimacy of a husband gazing into his bride's eye or a couple that holds each other at the end of a long day and sexual intimacy. These are all uh, uh, the intimate and, and trust-building types of uh, blocks, building blocks of relationships that we need. There should also be an element of partnership to our relationships at home. Couples need to be a team. Families need to be a team. Everybody looking out for each other. These relationships are about the partnership. It is not about everybody looking out for themselves, off doing their own thing all the time. Sometimes whenever I'm on Facebook, I use the hashtag Team Longstreth because I want everybody to know that Carrie and I, we are a team. We're in this together. That Carrie and I and the kids, we are a team. Team Longstreth. It's all for one and one for all. It's a team or a partnership, and it brings equality to that relationship that we have with each other. It requires mutual submission, which isn't easy all the time, is it? And it produces a sense of oneness that often requires compromise. So partnership, equality, and submission. Ephesians 5 says, submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And each person in the relationship is responsible for what they provide to help that relationship to flourish. And it's, it's very easy to kind of get that as parents, isn't it? That we should provide for our children. So provision, responsibility, generosity. Each of us are responsible to provide something to that relationship and to be generous towards the other. Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you parents, if you ask your children for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake? How many of us have given our kids a stone instead of bread or a snake instead of fish? Nobody? Nobody? Okay. Me neither. All right? I mean, I've given them a stone when they ask for a stone, but not, for, not when they ask for bread. Generosity is so key to building a wonderful relationship, one that will last. Integrity is also important. Because integrity is something that stands the test of time. Integrity, integrity is defined as having dedication and honesty and faithfulness over the course of time. And over the course of time, when you have these things, you can be said to be a person of integrity. Paul writes to Timothy about what a person of integrity looks like. Talking about an overseer of the church who's supposed to be above reproach, which means to have good character and integrity, to be faithful to their spouse, to exercise self-control, to live wisely, to have good reputation, to manage their own family well. But sometimes it's easy to screw up. Sometimes it's easy to mess up, to let others down, to fail. I do this often. Anybody else out there with me that we just mess up a lot? It's humanity. We're human. That's just what we are. And we have to live up to it. We have to own up to it. We have to be humble. We have to admit and be genuinely sorry when we've screwed up, when we've let other people down. And on the flip side, if we're the receivers of that, we need to be patient with the other person because they're human too. And the other person struggles. So humility and patience, they're two virtues of a loving relationship. Ephesians 4 says, always be humble and gentle patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love for each other. And that patience requires understanding and empathy. These are additional building blocks. Galatians 6.2 says, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Nobody should have to carry their own burdens. In a relationship, we carry each other's burdens. And you guys can just tell me that this is like the leaning tower of Pisa here. 
Don't be afraid. I don't want this thing to fall down too early. Okay. And to help share each other's burdens, it, it, sometimes it requires us to give guidance, to give discipline. Gui- guidance as friends, as spouses, discipline, our children. Ephesians 6 says, don't provoke your children by anger by the way you treat them, but bring them up with discipline and instruction. Proverbs 22, 6, I love this. Maybe somebody here has to hear this today. Direct your children on the right path, and when they're older, they will return, it. They will return to it. Another important building block is compassion or companionship and sharing. It means sharing in the good and bad. It means spouses being both friends and lovers. It means sharing in activities and recreation and just plain having fun, right? Who likes to have fun? And it's good to have fun together. So carve out time. Make memories. Make memories that you can share with each other long after those moments are gone. Give kids memories that one day they can look back on and just uh, share those memories with, with their kids and make new memories with your grandkids. And remember the Ecclesiastes scripture that we read earlier, that two are better off than one? And it says, but three are even better, for a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. So we have a a bunch of wonderful building blocks here, a good relationship that's starting to be built. But I would add this, that God wants to bless these closest relationships. God wants to be a part of our lives. He wants to be a part of our family. Healthy relationships include all of these building blocks, but godly relationships of the strong, three-stranded cord kind, they require some additional building blocks. I'm going to give those to you here today. Faith, so important. Truth. Godly wisdom. These things we, we can share with each other. We pass them on to our children and from a very early age and it will create their first worldview. It'll lay a foundation for their philosophy of life when they're older. And there are disciplines of our faith that we do individually and that we do corporately and that we should do as families and these relationships that are closest to us. And that is prayer and worship and service. Again, back to a cliche, a family that prays together stays together. I would also say that a family that worships together stays together. A family that serves together stays stays together. Because a family that invites God into their lives, the three-stranded cord relationship that's not easily broken, those are the relationships that will stay together. And we're at war, folks. We are at war with the world around us where marriages and families are constantly under attack Husbands and wives, we have to decide whether we're going to invite God into our relationship or if we're going to invite the world around us into it instead. Will we surround our families with God's protection or will we let our defenses down and let sorts, all sorts of corruption into our homes? And this isn't just a question for our day and age. It's the history of the earth. The beginning of the Old Testament, there's a man named Joshua who had to ask this same question and answered it too. And he said this, Joshua 24, verse 15, but if you, if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today who you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors or would it be the gods of the land that you now live? We could ask the same thing because there's gods of the land that we live in, isn't there? So choose today whom you will serve. And then he goes on to say this, and I'm sure all of us have heard this at some point, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So couples, parents, children, 
I hope and I pray that each of us, like Joshua, would say, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Let's say it together. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Let's say it one more time. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Now, it takes work to build strong relationships. And that's just half of it. That's just half the battle is building it. And that takes a lot of work. There's a lot of different complexities to a relationship, isn't there? A lot of parts and pieces. And the Apostle Paul, he said that I die to myself every day. And this is what we have to do as well when we talk about maintaining these godly, loving relationships. We, like Paul, have to die to ourselves every day because the building blocks of loving relationships require daily effort. You can't give up on the relationships. You can't just let them atrophy. You have to invest yourself every day. Now, two weeks ago, if you were here at the Mills, David was speaking about keeping Jesus in the picture of our future, and that it boils down to the choices that we make. And I would say that the same rule applies to keeping Christ in the pictures of every part of our lives, that it begins and ends with choices. And our choices will either bear fruit or they will bring decay. And this is certainly true of the relationships that are closest to us. What should we have for dinner tonight? What should I put, what clothes should I put out for my kids for tomorrow? What clothes should I put out for my husband tomorrow? Am I the only one? Nah, I'm just kidding. Sort of. Sometimes. But these choices, they probably don't have major consequences, do they? There are other choices that have the power to build up or tear down these relationships that should mean the most, most to us, such as being too busy with my own stuff instead of making time for my loved ones. I'm going to start dismantling this, either because I choose not or because I just neglect. So we're going to say that this relationship right here is going to be the relationship that just doesn't have it together. And this one is somebody who is dying to, them, to themselves every day and trying their hardest to put these relationships first. Other decisions, making decisions that impact my family without giving them consideration or putting my own selfish needs first instead of putting my wife and kids first. These are, these are examples of little choices, little decisions that over time, over the long haul, will add up. And if you default to one particular behavior or another, it's going to either build up or tear down your relationship over time. It's going to create behavioral patterns. It's usually not just the one poor choice here and there. You know, I make a bad decision right here. I put myself first instead of my family first on this one occasion. But look, the relationship's still intact. It's doing pretty good. I'm shaking the relationship. It's standing firm. Usually these single choices here and there, they're not going to make or break it. Now, I recognize that sometimes on occasion, a choice has the power to destroy. But for the most part, I'm talking about these little daily choices. Because over time, they become behavioral patterns. And those behavior patterns, if they are good and positive and healthy, they're going to bear fruit. But if those behavioral patterns are self-centered and not healthy, unhealthy to the relationship, self-serving, whatever that may be, then it's going to bring decay to that relationship. Even neglect is going to bring decay and atrophy. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is, again, teaching Sermon on the Mount. He is talking about building on a solid foundation. And since we're talking about building... I would say that this can apply to relationships too. He says this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, 
like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it will not collapse because it's built on the bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey is foolish like a person who builds their house on sand because when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So we have our relationships. And you can use your imagination of ways that we can just blow it. I'm sure right now we can easily think of times that we've blown it. And it's just a little choice here and there. Or maybe it's neglect. Or just taking each other for granted. How easy is that, right? To take each other for granted. And over time, it eats away. And if we don't do the hard work of putting the pieces back, of replenishing what it is that is being decayed or being dismantled or being destroyed, then it's going to weaken the structure. Okay, that's one, that one's hard to get out. Okay, I'm getting nervous. I know you guys want to see this fall. Now, I'm not going to say that this person's perfect because nobody is. So we all make mistakes. This easy one to take off the top. Let's take one out here. It's easy to, it's easy to mess up. And we all do. But I can say, I can say this for sure. That for all of us, in time, storms will come. And the foundation will be put to the test. And foolish is the person who recognizes what is most important. What is most loving, what is most godly, but does not put in the effort required to not only build, but to also maintain these key relationships. That person is foolish. Wise is the person that sees these things and works hard to keep, keep that relationship strong. We will face difficult times in our marriages. and our parenting, we're going to face tough times, aren't we? Even as kids growing up into adulthood, they're going to be the storms of life that come along. And whatever those relationships are that are closest to us, the storms will come. And if the foundation is too weak, if it has too many holes, too many areas that were neglected, that atrophied, it might stand on its own when a little rough patch comes. But when the storm comes, the relationship is wrecked. It falls to pieces, and often it's too late to pick up those pieces and start all over again. A relationship could come to end because there's just not enough ambition to pick up the pieces and to, and to try to build it again and take the time to, to start over. So wise is the person who puts this teaching into daily practice, for when you acquire the right building blocks, 
and you die to yourself every day and you work daily on building these most important relationships with these building blocks, the storms of life are going to come and your house will stand. And when you invite God into that relationship to be that three-stranded kind of relationship, you're inviting God to come. And even though the pieces might fall out, he is the glue that holds it all together. Anybody figured it out before, uh, before I held it up? How did it stay standing? He's a miracle worker. Nope. Wood glue. The illustration of God being the glue is so powerful. Because we as humans can have the best of intentions. We can work really hard to build really nice relationships and just time, busyness, the things of life get in the way and it just causes it to be weak. And when the storms come, that's when the trials and the, the, the I, I hear it said, the fire comes and it, it, it burns that which isn't strong away. And whatever remains is, is strong and, and firm. When we invite God into our relationships, and I don't just mean, where are those things? Faith, truth, wisdom, prayer, worship, service. I don't just mean those six things. That's, that's inviting God in. No, those are definitely part of inviting God. I mean all those things that I talked about because they're all godly. Love and respect and devotion and, and humility and patience. All these things are godly attributes. And when we invite God into our relationships, he is the glue that holds it together. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. I also want to invite the ushers at this time to walk around with baskets. And in those baskets are blocks of wood. I want each one of you to take a piece of wood today out of that basket and just hold on to it. In a couple minutes, I'll tell you what we're going to do with that block. But I don't want to leave you here today without something that you can put in your hand and say, I'm going to make a change. Because like I said earlier, it comes down to choices. It boils down to choices. And today we have a choice. So as the ushers are go ahead and distribute those, I want to tell you a story about when I was growing up. When I was young, the most, the most formative years of my life, maybe the first 10, 12 years of my life, I would wait every day for my dad to come home from work, and he was a painting contractor. He had a truck and ladders on top of the truck, and uh, he would drive down the back alley in the back of our house, and I would hear the ladders rattle from the, the gravel that he was driving on, and as soon as I heard the, the ladders rattle, I knew my dad was on his way home. I would run out. I would sit on the back steps and I would wait for him. And he'd come get out of his truck and walk up the sidewalk and greet me and give me a hug or a pat on the head or whatever that was. And, and it was my favorite time of the day. I remember it still. And then my dad, he was a hard worker. So he'd go in the house and he'd lay down on the couch and take a nap. He got up early, worked hard all day. He was a painter. And then after his nap, he would wake up and he would eat dinner and then he'd watch the, the news on TV at 7 o'clock. And then after the news was over, he'd call 
uh, his brother, who was his partner in the, in the business, and they'd talk about the plans for the next day at work. And then all of his men would call in, and he'd have to set them all up. And then pretty much he'd go to bed. And I get it. He was exhausted from a hard day at work, and he worked hard. He really did. He was a workaholic. He worked six days a week, sometimes seven. He worked hard for our family, and I remember that about him. I respect that. I get it. But I also remember how it made me feel as an eight-year-old boy who just wanted to hang out with his dad, you know? And I remember that over time that it seemed like work was more important than spending time with me. And I stand here before you today, and I understand. I get it. I'm 40 years old. I have a family of my own. I understand. He was providing for his family. He was doing what he thought was right. But his words, and I'll get to those in a second, his words were that it wasn't the right choice day after day after day after day. So it became the wrong behavioral pattern. And it affected those that he was in relationship with, me, my sister, my mom. And the last days of his life, he was battling cancer, and I sat down at the kitchen table with him. I remember that night. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the conversation that him and I shared. And he told me, he said, Dave, I feel like a fool for working so hard my entire life, these past 62 years of my life, and chasing after money instead of spending more time doing what mattered the most with the people that mattered the most. And he was devastated at age 62 when he realized that his days were literally numbered short. He told me, I wish that I would have spent more time just enjoying life with you guys. And uh, the night before he passed away, he looked at me and he goes, I'm going to miss you. And what he meant was he didn't get enough of it. He didn't get enough of it because of the little relationships or the little choices day after day after day. And I learned something. It's tragic and I felt pity for him. And I forgave him and I forgive him often whenever I think about this, when I think about my young life. But it drives me and I know he would be proud to he- and he wants, th- he wants me to say this and know this. It drives me to not make the same mistake that he made with my family. And I'll tell you the truth, it's a tug of war. Because life is life. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? It's not easy to, to go through this life. Not everything is, is awesome all the time, is it? The storms will come. Life will knock us down. The waves and the water will rise against us. The winds will beat against us and against the relationships that matter most. And I do not want to repeat the same mistakes of those before me or those around me. And I'm sure that sitting here today, a lot of you would say the same. I don't want to make those mistakes either, right? So I want to encourage you to make some choices today. And then I want to encourage you to make some choices again tomorrow and the next day and you get it. Like the Apostle Paul said, we have to die to ourselves every day. Every day, we have to put the pieces of these relationships back together. We have to make sure that we're doing everything that we can for these things that matter the most. 
because time, bad choices, it just has a way of sucking life out of it. And the good news that there is still time to work on this relationship, on a lot of these relationships that matter most. There's still time. Even for some of the relationships that have fallen to pieces, there is time. Some of these relationships can be rebuilt. Some of them, sadly, it may be too late. So we move on and we learn from the past and we try again. Because when we get knocked down, we're going to get back up. There's time to turn your life around. There's time to redeem broken relationships. There's time to build up what has been neglected, deteriorated, abandoned. There is time to turn away from foolish behavior and produce lasting fruit. There is time to repair the holes and the foundation to shore up the structures of our relationships before the storms come and wreak havoc on our lives. Joel chapter 2, he says... That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there still is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, with weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but instead tear your hearts. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful. He is compassionate. He is slow to get angry. He is filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not to punish. And who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. So I want you to take that block, folks. Every one of us, take that block. There's pencils in front of you. If you need one, ask. Somebody will share, I hope. But I want you to, in the next two or three minutes, while the band just plays softly behind, we're going to take two or three minutes And I want you to take this block and write down an area. Go ahead and start putting those building blocks up up on the screen, the ones that we walked through. And maybe as I was talking, a light bulb went off on one of those. And you know, this is an area that needs my attention. And that's what I'm going to do. See, I have a block in my pocket that I filled out last week. And there's two words on it. And it's none of your business what they are. Because it's for me and it's for my wife and it's for my family. I want you to write a couple words down, but not just a silly little exercise. Let this be the first choice of many, because you value this. You value this so much. So take a couple minutes, do that. And then when you're done writing, pray over it. As individuals, pray over your block. As families, huddle together if you want. Hold each other's hands. Wrap your arms around each other, whatever that may be, but pray over these blocks. If you want to share a block with your spouse, go ahead. Or with your family, go ahead. But take two or three minutes. Write, think, pray, ask God to intervene, to be in that picture. And then I'm going to pray with us all. And then we're going to respond in song. Let's go ahead. If you want to grab a hand, somebody that's next to you, feel free. You don't have to. But let's pray. God, we know that ending up on the right path is so often difficult because we have to make choices now. And often we don't see the results of those choices for a long time, if ever, in this lifetime, God, because it, the results take time. And some of us, we sit here and we know that we've made mistakes up until this point. And God, we just want to say we are sorry. We are sorry for those choices, those wrong behavioral patterns. But this morning, 
symbolic of rebuilding and maintaining these relationships that mean the most to us, God. We hold these blocks of wood in our hand with a word or two on it, and we pray over these because these represent areas of our relationship that we are inviting you to come and be present in. So we make a choice right now, today, and we pray that we'll continue to make the right choices. Show us these areas of our relationships that we need to work on and help us to make the right choices today, to trust, to to submit to you, to put you first in the relationships that mean so much. Be front and center, I pray. Be front and center in the picture of our family today. Be front and center in the picture of our families tomorrow and for the years to come. And God, right now, we invite you to come and make your home in our homes. For it's in Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.